Welcome to The Majlis, podcast of the Muslim Society's Global Perspectives Project at Queen's University. Majlis is the Arabic word for an assembly, literally a gathering of people sitting together, and it was used for the sessions of learned scholars, philosophers, intellectuals, and artists brought together to discuss and debate. Our podcast intends to accomplish the same purpose of bringing together experts and scholars for discussion and conversation about the politics, histories, cultures of the Middle East, Islamic world, and Muslim diasporas. You can find the Majlis on your favorite podcast site, including Spotify and Apple iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think by giving us a rating. Salam, hello, bonjour. This is uh, Adnan Hussein, director of the School of Religion at Queen's University and director of the Muslim Society's Global Perspectives Project. Welcome back to the Majlis. Um, we have here a really uh, special guest uh, to give us an update on a topic and an issue that we have followed here on the Majlis in the past, the Justice for Soli campaign. And we have uh, the person who's most fundamentally behind it, uh, somebody who I really admire and, and respect for the passion for justice and the fortitude to continue for five long years advocating on behalf of uh, accountability and justice for those suffering mental health. And that is uh, Brother Yusuf Fakiri. Welcome to the Majlis. Great to be here, Dr. Hussein. Yeah, well, um, listeners are somewhat familiar with uh, the story. If they've uh, heard previous episodes, we talked um, with you and the director and writer, um, Yusuf Zine, of the Unascertained podcast that chronicled uh, the story and the investigation um, of the death of your brother, Suleiman. Um, and the campaign to seek accountability. But I think it would be really useful to have, in your words, a brief synopsis of who your brother was, what happened to him, and then the struggles that you and your family have gone through in trying to find out what happened and to advocate for justice and accountability. Maybe if you could just give us a little bit of an introduction uh, to this uh, topic. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Peace and blessings be upon all of you. Respect your brothers and sisters in humanity. You know, um, it's very fitting, Dr. Hussein, that we're talking about Sully's story um, as we, um, uh, in the five-year anniversary, uh, uh, when he was taken away from us. Um, um, you know, one of the biggest mistakes we all, all too often make, all of us, we're all guilty of it, and we do it in a benign way, is, um, you know, we allow the mental illness to effectively be the whole part of that individual. Or, and and Suleiman, um, and you know, and uh, Suleiman did not allow that to the person that he was. So I want to backtrack first, you know, one of your questions was, you know, who was Suleiman? He, he was a teacher to so many of us in the sense that, like, 
you know, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia at the peak of his um at the peak of his life in many respects. He was studying engineering at Waterloo, University of Waterloo. Um, he was a gifted athlete. Um, he had everything going for him, alhamdulillah. But God had different plans for him. And we accept those plans for him. Um, but Suleiman, uh, you know, did not allow the illness of, uh, that we call schizophrenia to define him. Rather, he forces to look beyond that. And so for all the audience, when they're, when they're hearing about Sully's story or when they know someone that's suffering from a form of mental illness, be careful when you talk to someone with mental illness on how you, you know, um, how you're, you know, in terms of how you look at them, because that illness is just part of them. They're much richer than that. They're much gifted. They're much more beautiful than just that. And, and Sully taught us that. So I wanted to start with that part. And that part usually is the hardest for me because uh, my brother was a, was an incredible man. He was a beautiful uncle. I mean, he was, he was an incredible son to my mom. He taught her how to read, you know, as I was getting closer to my faith, he's the one that taught me how to pray. Um, now imagine I was the older brother. He is the one that I looked up to. Right. And so that's who Sully was. And there's so much to talk about him terms as a person. And, and frankly, Dr. Hussein, the reason that we're able to, have gone all these five years. One is because of Canadians across this country that helped my family, but also because of that sheer and intense love that we had for my late brother, right? And I want everybody to know that anyone who's suffering around you, I know you have that same kind of love as well, right? And, and, and for people to know that people with mental illness, they deserve dignity and respect. And, and, it's fit, and I wanna segue to that is that Suleiman, you know, he was taken to this jail called the Central East Correctional Center. In layman terms, we call it the Lindsay Super Jail. Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Super Jail. The police weren't supposed to take him to jail to begin with. They were supposed to take him to a hospital. Three days before his tragic death, um, uh, my father and I made arrangements vis-a-vis -a, -vis a court order judge to transfer Suleiman to a hospital. The only reason he was not able to make it was because he was waiting for a bed. Now, I want to be respectful to the audience time and your time, Dr. Hussein. So I'm not going to get into too much of the details you told me just to give you a brief and I, we can talk about some of the details. But since the last five years, you've had an eyewitness to his killing. You've had two coroner's reports, the most recent by um, chief pathologist, Dr. Michael Polanin, who articulated that the guard's actions were directly related, were directly related to Suleiman's death that Suleiman had 50 bruises, legs and hands were tied, pepper sprayed twice, and more than half a dozen guards were involved in his beating death. You have now three police investigation. One, the local police force uh, refusing to press charges, who did not even speak with the eyewitness. And then the coroner's office, to their credit, um, uh, uh, started a second investigation to get the, with respect to the OPP. OPP took 20 months in their investigation, said we cannot press charges, you know this very well, because we do not know which guard gave the fatal blow. Um, and then in August 2021, you have um, uh, the chief pathologist that then um, made his ruling, and the case is now back with the OPP. And just a couple of days ago, uh, I, one of the Canadian journalists by the name of uh, Shanifa Nasser with the CBC reached out to the OPP she shared on her uh, social media, the OPP's response. 
and the OPP gave a boilerplated response saying that this is due to a impending coroner's inquest and um, uh, something with legal and means a necessary investigation uh, we're not able to comment. That's more than the OPP has said. Dr. Hussein since August 2021, uh, um, since then. They have not talked to us. They have not said a word to us since August 2021. Right. So we do not even know if they're doing a criminal investigation. So I, I like, and the final, you know, to say the final few words in terms of this question is, um, we still don't know what they're doing. They're still operating in a very opaque, uh, insular way. Uh, and, and frankly, this is, this is problematic because we, the public, all have a right to know. I mean, it's one thing, the public is something as family too, but so we do not know Dr. Hussein, what they're even doing in their investigation. And most of the guards that were involved in Suleiman's beating death, sir, are still employees of the Ontario government. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, well, that's a sobering synopsis um, that I just want to highlight a few points that there have been several inquests to look at the forensic uh, evidence. Um, There have been several investigations, um, but there have been no charges, no, um, you know, blame, uh, you know, uh, given other than uh, the latest report um, by the head coroner uh, in the province indicated finally that there you know was responsibility by the guards for the death of of Suleiman but since that um, statement in August this last summer there's been no clear indication of progress in an investigation on that basis uh, in the last several months so we're at the this stage where every and i think i think it's important to point out that the only reason why there are there were three in police you know investigations uh is because the campaign that you have been a part of has insisted on answers and new evidence um that they've overlooked has come to light and so they've had to reopen the case conduct new investigations but from the very start it seems like Nobody wanted to really take responsibility and find out what really happened, except you and your family. And it's through struggling that there's some answers have started to come. Some evidence has started to come to light over this court over the course of a five year process. I mean, that should be astonishing to people that someone dies in prison, in custody when they should have received treatment uh, in a very brutal and violent fashion and nobody has been held accountable and it's been very difficult to even push for investigations and for the evidence to actually be presented in public light you know dr Hussein, i really appreciate you you bringing it back to earth to the audience you know of of of, of the um the preposterous nature of how the police has handled this case um and i want to i want to also but circle a uh, scale back a little back here is like imagine now dr hussein that uh, you're a single mother you're first you're someone from the first nations community or, or someone with a certain socioeconomic background what about them dr hussein we've had canadians supporting my family and one of the great things that i'm grateful is that we have a very close family 
Not all families have those privileges, Dr. Hussein. Now imagine how they would deal with it, uh, how, what, you know, what they would go through. So I want to also highlight that, mm-hmm. is that we, yes, we've been proactive, you know, and yes, we have, you know, we have amazing people helping us and supporting us. If we are having this much struggle, what about others that don't have the same privilege? And also to, to keep in mind, um, th- there seems to be a very clear cut notion that there's a standard for you and I, us in the population, and for law enforcement. That is to say that, that there's two different standards. There's a two-tier system, right? When is the last time, Dr. Hussein, that you heard someone who is, who, who, who is a jail guard that's been charged criminally? You would have to work really hard, look hard to find that out. It, it's, it's rare. It's very rare. And on top of all this, on top of all this, you know, you have the eyewitness, Mr. John Thiebaud, that has been called critical, cri- credible by the OPP themselves. You now have the chief pathologist, Dr. Michael Polanin, to his credit, saying that the guard's actions were directly related to Suleiman's death. What is taking the police so long, Dr. Dr. Mm. Hussein? And on top of all this, on top of all this, what excuse will they find now not to press charges? I mean, I'll be very candid with you. I'm not, you know, for me, I'm, I don't have, until they do the right thing, doctors, I don't have confidence in them doing the right thing. I want them to prove to me and my family, but to all Canadians, to all Canadians that there's, there isn't a different standard for all of, for us and, the, and, and law enforcement. And, and, and the thing that makes all of this tragic, this was, a, this was a human being. You know, my mom suffers every day. My mom asks me the same question every day, Yusuf, well, do you think some there'll be there'll be charges for my there'll be charges as to what happened to my son? Suleiman was buried, was buried five years ago, but we die every single day because of his tragedy. Where is our closure? Right? And I, but I also want to end this off in this question: is that this isn't about just my brother anymore, Doctor Hussein? A couple of days ago, five Canadian senators. I don't know if you saw put out a statement standing in solidarity with the Justice for Sully movement um, from uh, different parts of Canada, um, the senators were, and they, they told people that this is a national concern. It's a national concern in terms of the criminalization of people with mental illness within the justice system. Five senators, um, and I'm happy to send you that statement, Dr. Hussein. Um, and so, yes, it's a national concern. And so the man's story, Suleiman's story is one part of that story in this national concern. And that's why this movement is not just for Suleiman Fikiri. It's for the all Canadians who suffer from mental illness. And that's what this work has now evolved into, Dr. Hussein. Well, I have to say that is one thing that is very impressive about the Justice for Soli campaign um, over these last five years is that it has really placed on the national agenda the question of mental health illness and treatment in the prisons. Um, And as a result, it has attracted uh, people maybe we never would have you know heard heard about but through the justice for solely campaign 
um, you've managed to highlight the issues and also allow others who have suffered grave losses as a result of the you know mistreatment of people who are suffering mental illness or um, drug uh, you know addictions and need uh, support and treatment um, more than they need this you know incarceration and mistreatment um, uh, in the prison system. Um, you know, people like, um, well, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the kinds of people you have met and the window that your struggle and campaign to bring justice and accountability for your brother has led you to, um, you know, uh, to to come to know and to al allow the public to, to come to know. Uh, how common is this problem? And, you know, what are the stories of people besides uh, Suleiman, who we've heard about, who are, you know, what are some of the other people who have suffered as a result of this kind of mistreatment? I wish I could say it's very uncommon. It's not. It's very common, uh, Dr. Hussein. It's, um, um, and I'm just going to highlight some of them for you um, because every story has a tragedy. Every story has a loved one or many loved ones that suffer after that tragedy. And every story, every death could, it could definitely be preventable. And it's due to the failures of of the system of uh, in the maltreatment of people with mental illness and the opaqueness of the system, the lack of tra um, transparency within the system. You know, and, and you look at the story. You look at the story of of Justin Saint Amour. Um, he he has schizophrenia. He was in the Ottawa Carlton Detention Center. He died about a week and a half before Sully. Uh, two two months after Sully's death, there was a story of Cascades suffering from schizophrenia. He died, um, he died at the Ottawa Carlton Detention Center. There's a tragic story of Jordan Sherrod, um, who died in June 2020, um, who um, um, there, was an, there was some drug issues. It, it, for me, Dr. Hussein, that, that in itself, you need to have the appropriate people, social workers, mental health workers, to help them, not put them in jail, right? People are suffering from a form of mental illness. You have the tragic story that a lot of people in Ontario don't know about, but through our work we found out is like the tragic story of Edward Snowshoe, a First Nations man that spent hundreds of days in solitary confinement, ended up taking his life away because it was too hard. Um, he was in his 20s and his mom made a comment one time, I saw her in an interview, like he would treat animals better. You know, Edward Snowshoe, and there's an important piece in the Globe and Mail, uh, about that story. There's the tragic story, the most infamous story, one would argue, of Ashley Smith. Ashley Smith, in which guards watched her take her life. Um, and I've been, and you know, a lot of these stories, whether it's Ashley Smith's family or Jordan Sherrod's family or Justin St. Damour's family, we've had conversations. We always say, um, we always say we're, um, we're, we're an exclusive club that we should not even have a club to begin with. You know, there's a tragic story. You will not find an article about his tragedy. Edward, uh, Stephen Duffy. Um, I speak with his sister, Vicky Stone. This young, this man was, end up leaving jail and he'll be freezing to death. You know, and, and there's a story of Abdurrahman Hassan, whose inquest was just um, delayed, uh, was pushed back, but he died in at the Central East in June 2015, suffering from schizophrenia. And bipolar disorder, very tragic story. You probably find maybe two to three articles about his tragedy. There's a story of Matthew Hines. There's a story of Moses Beaver, a First Nations man who was an artist. He died in the Thunder Bay jail. 
Matthew Hines was suffering from seizures. He died in the East Coast. I mean, I can go on, Dr. Hussein, with many other names, but there's important themes here. There's a direct nexus between the justice system and mental illness, or that we call a fatal nexus between mental illness and the incarceration system. This is not a policy issue, Dr. Hussein. These are lives that we're talking about. These are not, these are people. Um, this is flesh and blood, right? I'm sorry to articulate it in that descriptive way. Um, and if we don't fix this, if we don't fix this, what will our children or our grandkids see to us one day? And, and this, is, this is a criticism on all of us, on myself, yourself, and anyone who's listening. This is on us as well to have a paradigm shift. Because if we don't, we will, we will have, we will regret this. And on top of this, you don't need to look too far, Dr. Hussein, in terms of this exact moment. This pandemic has highlighted the mental health issues. You have, you have outbreaks in prisons, you know, and, 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 and that, that in itself should be a, a, a profound reminder to us that there's so much work. How do you have outbreaks in prisons and you don't have people that, that are held accountable for those outbreaks? We need to educate ourselves, but we need to turn that education into policy decisions. And those policy decisions need to be held account, uh, into accountability. And I'm sorry if I'm digressing, Dr. Hussein, but these, these things we're unpacking, we're unpacking complex things, but very simple things. They're both, but more than anything, lives are at stake. Put everything else aside, lives are at stake. And what this movement will humbly do, whether we do it in our lifetime, we hope to prepare the baton for someone else to take it home one day. I made a promise to my brother, may God have mercy on us. When I see him every Friday, when I go to his grave when I can. I say, I will fight until I take my last breath. Fighting for him and others is honoring him, Dr. Hussein. Mm -hmm. and, and when we say fight, fight is not, does not mean just combative. It's linked to dignity. It's linked to honor. It's linked to building a better society. And that's what the Suleimans and all the other names that I mentioned would want for us to do. Absolutely. Um, it seems that... Um... It's an amana, as we, one would say, it's a trust, uh, an immense responsibility. Uh, this cannot, of course, have been easy, uh, not only to suffer this grievous loss uh, yourself, but to have to struggle for so long um, in this continuing campaign, just to get information, just to get answers, to try and, and have accountability. What kinds of things have sustained you you know, in this and to carry this heavy trust, this heavy burden. And I, I know also that it must have been somehow meaningful to expand the scope to involve and to meet these other families. What has that uh, been like? How has that um, helped you? And how has the, the campaign for Justice for Soli helped others to be able to sustain this very difficult task uh, that I'm sure has been such an emotional challenge over over these years with so many frustrations because of the roadblocks i just want to say it should never have taken any effort on your part to find out what happened and to seek justice this should have been the responsibility of those in in authority but you've had to take on this 
uh, burden. What has that been like and what has it meant uh, to have uh, this wider community um, to share in this in this struggle? You know, Dr. Hussein, you talk about the roadblocks. I'm going to get to the other part of your question as well. Like, you know, the first investigation that was done by the Coeur Lakes Police Service when they decided to not press charges, they made my family work hard for months to get the police report. They denied us the original police report. Our lawyers had to fight for it to get it. That's just one part of the story. Yeah. Right. And so, and, and, I, and, and, you know, again, if we put it at the micro level, what if somebody didn't have a lawyer? What if they didn't have the means, right? I, and that's problematic in itself, right? What do we say as our, in our society when people are vulnerable, that are vulnerable are given to their families and body bag and said, yeah, take them, bury them. And that's it. That's the way, that's the way a lot of people are treated when it comes to this space. Right. And, 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 you know, and so that's an example of the roadblock. And the only thing that kept us going, Dr. Hussein, you know, we, the folks, there's some folks in, in this podcast um, that probably knows this, this tradition um, that you also know is that there, there's a saying in our tradition, whether I, and I believe that there's a saying in, in, all, in, all, in the three Abrahamic traditions is that behind every test, there is a blessing and behind every blessing, there is a test. And so, for me, this has been a very painful and lonely journey. I'll be very candid for you. Because painful in the like lonely in the sense that there's some amazing and incredible people that allow lifted us, lifted me and, and other and my family, but the loneliness in the sense of, you know, only people that have gone through what we're going through could relate. And that's where those other families come in. Right. So those conversations has allowed me to have a family mm-hmm. in that capacity. Right. When we talk about because these are such intense, violent, you know, traumatic experiences that you could only really relate with them. Right. And so and, and that's what those people, those wonderful other family like Ashley Smith's family, you know, or Jordan's mom, you know, or as just as just mom, Laureen, like. The, we've had our Vicky, like Stephen's sister, having those conversations and, and her, them cheering us on meant the world. It means that we're on the right track, right? It means that we're on the right track. But and then in terms of what, what's sustained, it's an ironic paradox, but it's also, we say in Eric Maktoub, and that he, he wrote it this way, is that I don't often talk about this in detail, but I, I think it's pertinent that I talk about it in this, in our session, um, Suleiman, I wasn't always practicing. It was only a few years before his tragic killing that I became closer to my faith. And he's the one that taught me about my faith. So in many ways, Dr. Hussein, he actually helped me with the blueprint. He gave me the blueprint. And the, that blueprint manifested in the way, in the way of, you know, of me never forgetting that no matter what I do, if my intentions are to build that society in the hopes of pleasing our creator for that better society, then that's all we can do. And that's what kept me, uh, you know, all those down times, those tears and those pain, the thing that helped me, that lifted me up, that lifted me up is this idea that you must keep going because you're, you can only control your efforts. The results are not up to you. And then in the real world, lifting up, was Canadians. I wrote a piece a couple of months ago when I said, 
It was Canadians that lifted us up. And that's what a lot, that, that was, that for me was, was the key that kept us going. I mean, Dr. Hussein, I've traveled across the nation. I've been all the way from BC to the other side of the country. We've had a probably more than 200 interviews in the last five years. And it's, it's a true honor to utter the name of my late brother and share his story. And having people saying to me, keep going. We know what you're dealing with, right? They lifted us up. Because this is not an, this is not a, this Suleiman story has its unique nuances, but in many respects, it's not unique as well. It's not. And that's a problem that we have. Indeed, yeah. Um, I had wanted to talk, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the article that you wrote in the Globe and Mail, because I think it made a very powerful statement. It was this fall after um, there had been new information and new conclusions by the chief pathologist making a new coroner's report. Um, you wrote this uh, just a couple, just a few months ago in, in October, and the headline title for your piece was, After My Brother's Death in Prison, My Family Has Lost Faith in the System. And we've talked a lot about those challenges, the roadblocks um, that never should have been there if justice was the um, goal of the justice system. Um, but you said you, your final statement was, we still believe in justice. And uh, maybe you could talk a little bit more uh, about that. You know, it's, um, this is the academic in you, Dr. Hussein, in terms of, you know, the unraveling, the analysis of it. Yeah, and I deliberately wrote it that way. Because, you know, for, for many of us sometimes, and we all do it, people assume justice, justice is just linked to accountability uh, through like direct, uh, almost like a knee jerk reaction, blood for blood, right? Or this idea of, you know, uh, violence for violence, right? Of our justice. But justice is much more, in my humble opinion, much more nuanced. And I wanna unravel that sentence, explain justice for you in my humble way uh, to get to tell you why I said that. Um, but justice is much more nuanced than that, in the sense that what foundations is your, is, is your notion of justice built on? What is your justice hoping to achieve, right? And what does it mean for you to have justice, right? Suleiman's gone. That loss will never be replaced, Dr. Hussein. But as a man of faith, we also, you know, we, we, we accept what's given to us in terms of the destiny, right? Doesn't mean we just stay back and don't, because a wrong took place. There was a wrong that happened to my late brother. So we had to fight against that to articulate the wrong. But justice for us is spelled in the notion that these guards need to be held accountable and criminally charged. That's what the hope is. But that's not all of our justice. Mm -hmm. Our justice is built on love, Dr. Hussein, on this idea of building a society, love, dignity, and honor for people with mental illness. Every single guard who were involved in the beating death of Suleiman Fikiri, when they have dinner, when they're talking to their loved one, they have to live with this. There's a conscience that they have. 
That's what justice is about, right? You know, I myself, you know, I'm a firm believer that we will achieve our justice. I do. But I'm not going to put faith in my justice in a system that creates two-tier for, you know, for law enforcement and the rest of us. I'm going to link my justice to the strangers that have now become my family. And my justice, Dr. Hussein, will be that if I leave this earth, even if I don't see it, but maybe the fruits will bear, the people with mental illness will be treated in, with dignity by social workers and healthcare workers, with people with cultural competencies. That's my justice. That's what I meant by that sentence, right? Because um, I'll be bound to be disappointed if I'm going to tie my justice. I've got five-year experience, Dr. Hussein, mm. to know that I'd be disappointed. If we're really going to get justice, look at it five years later, right? But it would mean the world to me. And I hope I see it in my lifetime. But if not, I accept it that maybe one day someone will utter Suleiman Fakiri's name or Ashley Smith's name or Justin St. Amour's name and say, look, our lives are better because of these people. That's justice. And that for me is the purest form of justice. I think that's a really profound uh, statement and uh, coming from the insight of your struggles with this campaign uh, for justice to define it in that way. Um, and it's always seemed to me that while you were absolutely dedicated to and determined to hold people accountable through uh, whatever levers the system uh, afforded and to keep pushing and pressing for that, that fundamentally there was a kind of higher purpose of forging that kind of solidarity to leave a legacy in your brother's name uh, that will inspire others to try and change this system that you're petitioning, that you're pressuring, that you're demanding, but ultimately it's to change it, to make it a better, a better uh, society um, and to fulfill those ideals in a genuine way rather than this hierarchical, uh, you know, uh, divided manner where there's different levels of accountability and justice for different people, uh, but for everybody to be treated with the kind of human dignity that everyone does deserve. So I think that's a very important statement. You had mentioned in uh, a few moments ago <clears throat> that, um, well, of course, Suleiman's story has its particularities and uniqueness because of who he was as an individual and what happened to him, that on some broader level, it's um, a common story. It's a shared experience. It's very tragically um, not so uncommon as it, as it should be. And I think in general, you were talking about um, the collision between mental health and this uh, carceral institution of the prisons. Um, but I had one other thought about it um, that I know you've highlighted the mental illness component, but um, Desmond Cole, the great uh, uh, journalist uh, in, in Canada, had put out a blog post, I remember, in February or March uh, 2020, um, right before the um, uh, George Floyd protests um, emerged, and he had listed a number of cases of deadly fatal encounters with the police um, listing those who had been victimized by police violence. 
um, who were racialized, whether indigenous people, black people, uh, people from the Middle East and South Asia. Um, and one thing I noticed in the stories about them was the huge proportion of mental illness sufferers among them. And it seemed that in addition to mental illness, that an exacerbating feature and condition um, is the racial component. When you have both mental illness and a racialized person, that it leads to very, very uh, deadly fatal encounters. And that seems to be a relevant context in thinking about uh, Suleiman's case. Um, do you feel in some ways that the fact that um, he was a Muslim, Afghani uh, male um, led to uh, his treatment being so incredibly uh, intensively uh, violent um, at the hands of these guards? Uh, did it play a role? Do you feel like it, it, it has? Because it seems to be connected with other cases where police or prison authorities, um, in terms of the, you know, differential treatment, it seems that it's even worse when it comes to mental health sufferers who are also racialized people. I think it's an important question, uh, Dr. Hussein, uh, but the fact that, like, we don't have most of the information in those 11 days in itself is a problem. I don't even know if you saw an imam, right, Dr. Hussein, in those 11 days, right? Um, you know, you saw on the podcast of how he was treated, right? It was a very violent end to his life. Um, and so um, the fact that we try to see him and weren't able to see him is a problem, right? Those aspects, you know? Um, and then, you know, I want to talk about some of the, 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 the stuff that Desmond and the stats you were talking about. Dr. Hussein, you have, I think, about 30 40% women in, like, the Canadian prison system are First Nations, you heard that right, 30 to yeah. 40%. Um, and that number might even be higher, or mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. The two largest, well, it's two of the uh, two of the biggest groups that are in prison for, for male are First Nations and members of, uh, you know, uh, Black Canadians. That's a problem. That's a problem. And, 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 it's, and that in itself, you had another, you have another layer to, to these tragedies. And then, Besides the prison, you have to talk about this as well. Like a lot of folks from racialized communities, Dr. Hussein, they come from war-torn countries, whether it's Sri Lanka, whether it's parts of the Arab world or the Muslim world, whether you're Syrian, Afghani, you know, uh, Rohingya. If you come from those countries, there's a higher, there's a higher percentage of your population that suffers from mental illness. Suleiman was Afghani. There's a correlation. Well, I mean, trauma, them. right? Yeah, right. We were we left that we left early as kids, but um, we came. You know, um, there's a direct correlation between mental illness um, and, and and war, right? So, so and and that also and then on top of all this, you talk about when you talk about that trauma. There's another thing that we have a role to play. It's gotten better, but you know, whether it's the Muslim community or some of the subcultural community communities, the stigma, mm -hmm. the stigma of having mental illness from some of our communities. And I know a lot of us are, that are listening are saying, yeah, I can definitely relate, right? So you have 
because you're unpacking several things here, Doc, uh, Dr. Hussein, yeah. that I think is also important for us to like discuss. Right? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, ultimately, you know, getting back to your original comment uh, and your question from a couple minutes ago, like you, you, when you asked me when we talked about the op-ed, there's it's the first time that I int intimately talked about our life as Afghani refugees. You know, you, you brought up the word legacy. You brought up the word legacy. And for me, um, all this work ultimately, what I hope to do um, is this is our humble way giving back to giving back to Canada, giving back, you know, giving back to Canadians in the, in the sense that, that you know, uh, my brother already had a tragic life to begin with. And he had a tragic end. But I hope through that pain that we've seen all these years, um, you know, escaping war is to also, you know, this is our way of giving back to Canada, right? Because it's very counterproductive, sir, if your work is always tempered on anger. You could be firm and dignified, but when it's tempered on anger, you're gonna undermine yourself. And that's been the hardest test for me all these years all these years, uh, Dr. Hussein, you know, because for me, it's, it's a wide emotion, you know, the, the letdowns, all that stuff. I was like, what am I supposed to do? We've tried to be humble and dignified, but the system still refuses to accept this wrong, right? Sorry for digressing, but I wanted oh. to also highlight that. Yeah, that's very important. Um, um, I guess uh, at this point, I'm wondering, I know that you're preparing um, for listeners, we're recording on uh, Friday, uh, the 17th of December, and uh, there is planned um, a vigil uh, for Suleiman on the fifth anniversary uh, in Toronto at Dundas Square at 6pm, and you're preparing for this vigil. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you hope will be accomplished at this vigil. Uh, and we can talk a little bit after that about um, which direction the campaign is going uh, in what the, it's, it's hoping to achieve at this stage and how our listeners can, in, can get involved in solidarity and support. But let's talk a little bit about the upcoming vigil. What do you hope to achieve? What's going to happen? Yeah, well, thank you very much. Um, um, the vigil um, will be, this year will be a bit different from other years in that um, it will be done to, um, to highlight, uh, you know, to try to remember Suleiman, uh, the man that he was in that sense of like focusing on him in terms of like um, um, the brother, the son, mm -hmm. but tying in that, talking about the systemic issues, right? That, you know, um, there could have been another Suleiman. And, and, and it was just to like let people know, uh, like one to remember, but also let people know that this campaign is live and well. You know, we've been tested with, with, with the various variants in the coronavirus. We haven't been able to go out. Uh, this will be, I, yeah, this will be our first physical event of 2021. Mm. And so this is to like inspire people that were still out there. People, we do a lot of events, but it'll be good to be there personally. Right, and so and so that's the second part, and the third part is to to be to continue to inspire people, to continue to inspire people, um, 
uh, to know that we're going to fight with them, that we're with them together, right? Because we're hoping in the coming months, Dr. Hussein, to launch our family coalition of different families, right? We'll have a website. We're going to have pictures of different other victims. And so um, we have invited other families as well to speak and we'll be collecting statements. We also have Desmond Cole, that's one of the speakers as well. There's a psychiatrist um, and there'll be other families that will be speaking. Um, so that's will be the other, the, uh, the ultimate accomplishment is to say, you know, it's to come a night of solidarity and talk about Suleiman and the systemic issues and, and basically a continuation of the work that we're doing. Um, um, and, and we're hoping that it's a successful night. You know, we've already had a very successful week and then just a couple of days ago, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, five Canadian senators, Senator Lucy Monsion, Peter Beam, um, Senator uh, Mary Coyle, Kim Pate, and Stan Kutcher put a joint statement standing in solidarity. Uh, you have Goratan Singh, who will be speaking as well, um, the just, Ontario justice critic. Uh, Sarah Jama is another speaker. Arfin Malik, she's a psychiatrist. So. You'll note right off the bat, you, uh, Imam Yassin Dwyer will start, uh, which is very familiar to the audience, um, Canada's first Muslim prison chaplain. Um, and, and it'll be, you know, and we'll have some spoken word, all right, and then I'll be saying a few words as well. And then laying 50 roses, uh, we'll be giving the audience 50 different roses, 50 roses, and then, because those are the 50 bruises, right, that Soli had, and then uh, have a moment of silence for him and for all people that suffer from mental, and then we're gonna end off the event with me saying the names of, some of the names that are articulated to you, Dr. Hussein. Uh, that's what the evening will be about. Yes, well, I hope um, listeners will be attending if they're in the Toronto area. Is this going to be live streamed at all? Yeah, the event will be on Facebook Live um, and the event will also be on Instagram Live. Feel free and we will also record the, game, uh, the event. Um, How can people um, find out about those um, Facebook Live and Instagram streams? Where should they go? They go for our, our Justice for Sully Facebook or Instagram Justice for Sully. Um, and I know you, and also they can go to your, uh, some of your social media that you've shared. And the, I know the Kingston message is also sharing for people to come, but you could just go to our page and it'll automatically. Um, and, and there's a lot of social media that we've already talked about the details of the vigil where we've, we've, uh, we've already advertised quite a bit. Uh, it's clear that the campaign has really grown and had, um, huge impact. We will put uh, a link to that statement from the senators and also um, the information about Instagram and Facebook Live um, in the notes to this podcast so people can find out more and hopefully attend uh, the stream if they can't attend in person. Um, But how can people get involved and what should people do uh, if they want to express solidarity and support uh, with the campaign Justice for Soli? You know, first and foremost, the most important thing everybody can do um, is um, is pray for my late brother and pray for us to to be successful in this journey. I mean, because uh, that's very important. That's the most important. And anybody who's listening, please, um, and your prayer would mean the world. Um, in terms of direct involvement, you know, we have an amazing team. Um, talented folks that are students, but also come from different professional backgrounds um, and that, have, that are supporting us. So you could, you know, you could email us as justice for Sully, uh, one word, justice for Sully at gmail.com. We always have time 
for volunteers in, in different capacity, writers, social media, you know, organizers. Um, it would be an honor to have you involved um, uh, because we're, you know, this work is uh, this work all of us have a stake in. So that's one way. Another way for people to get involved is maybe after listening to this podcast with Dr. Hussein, um, maybe put out a statement, share this podcast, you know, share about Suleiman's story. And then finally, another way, uh, you know, to help us, if you know someone who's suffering from mental illness, and I know at times we're all tested differently, is just listen to them, give them a hug, tell them you love them. And if you can't see them physically, call them would mean the world to them uh, and I say this to all of you humbly um, to do that uh, because there's a lot of us that suffer in silence Yusuf I want to thank you so much for sharing uh, your brother's story the story of uh, the campaign to seek justice for him and for your wise words and deep insights I know it's not easy so I very much appreciate you taking the time and the emotional labor that it takes to talk about these very difficult and painful experiences. We all pray and hope that some positive legacy will come from this. It already has. This campaign has changed many people's lives and is having a huge impact. So we wish you all the success and all the solidarity and support that we can show. And I want to thank you and acknowledge and recognize it's not easy to talk about these things. You've been talking unceasingly for five years, um, and that's a huge burden and a, and, um, a huge task, but you set an amazing example for us um, in struggling for justice, and we appreciate that greatly. Jazakallah for all the work that you've done, and may Allah give you strength and power uh, to achieve justice and peace. Thank you again for, for talking with us. Amin Ya Rab. Jazakallah khairan, Dr. Hussein. I'm honored to speak with you. And if any folks that do need support, if you have someone, loved one that's suffering, please reach out to Dr. Hussein or reach out to that email. I'm happy to assist and provide any resources. We're in this together. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. And listeners, um, listen for future episodes coming uh, very soon. Uh, we'll see you again soon on The Majlis. Thank you for joining us in The Majlis, a podcast by MSGP. Muslim Society's Global Perspectives, or MSGP, is an initiative at Queen's University dedicated to connecting the complex history of Islamic societies with the contemporary world. You can connect, learn more, and support us by checking out our website, www queensu.ca slash msgp and stay up to date with our events by following us on twitter at msgpqu and on our facebook msgpqu you can also follow our youtube channel the Mitchless.